Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hi, everyone. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the Sexy Lifestyle is all about. David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are. And you know, we love talking and learning about everything related to sex and sexuality, sexual health, and of course, sexual pleasure. We love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown. And we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because, well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. We sure do. So... Have you considered opening up your relationship but are confused, nervous, and a little scared about how to do it? Perhaps you've tried polyamory or an open relationship and found it to be a little harder than you thought. On today's show, we're going to discuss how to figure out if you're suited for an open relationship, and if so, where to meet other polyamorous and non-monogamous people. And if you're already in an open relationship and it's not going very well, we're going to talk about how you can go from suffering to satisfied. Jealousy, communication, and ask for what you want. We cover it all. We absolutely do. We have a world renowned specialist to talk to today, direct from Hawaii. But before we get going, we want to tell you about our top waterproof blanket because great sex is messy sex, but nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot. So if you're fed up with having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof, and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils or silicone lubes to all sorts of sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer, and it comes out looking like brand new. And you don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply and safely go to Amazon and order yours today. Search Top Waterproof Blanket. That's T-O-P, Waterproof Blanket. Great sex starts now. It sure does. You know we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and today is a super special show because it is our fourth anniversary show. We've done over 400 shows with 400 guests. We have a million listeners, and we figured today we would put together a real special show on really the world that we live in, which is about open relationships and swinging. So um, I'm so excited to welcome today's special guest direct from Hawaii. An open relationship coach, Sumati Sparks, has been coaching people in the area of relationships and sexuality since 2000, and now she specializes in helping people create successful open relationships. She sure does. So welcome to The Sexy Lifestyle. Thanks for taking time out of your, I guess, beach time in Hawaii for being here today. Wow, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. And we're having a tiny bit of rain, which is great because there was a drought in Hawaii for a long time. So haven't gone to the beach yet today, but there's usually breaks in the rain. You can get out there. <laughs> yeah, I love Hawaii. Uh, it's actually do. a very we special place. Do. So why don't we start by you telling us a little bit about how you got into this world of sexuality? Mm, thank you for asking. Well, I would say it's all because of Dan. <laughs> it's his <laughs> Dan. <fault. laughs> I met a guy named Dan. Remember those old personal ads in the newspaper? <laughs> That's where I met him. And he was in this strange-sounding personal growth workshop organization called High. And I think you also talked to my friend Carolyn, who High was a big part of her story, too. Right. She wrote, she wrote the book about uh, 50 First States Over 50. So I'm just going to plug for Carolyn because she's my buddy. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. But anyway, um, so yeah, High um, was an organization that Dan was involved in and I would hear these mysterious things about like how he trimmed a woman's pubic hair and I was like what (laughs) (laughs) what kind of workshop is this and how um, he was going to do a skit in a talent show and he was going to be the person's penis I'm like okay so it's very strange and peculiar so I started doing those workshops and learning about Human sexuality can be like a playful thing. It can be light and fun, and we can learn to have various degrees of connections with people. In the default world, it's like if you look at somebody too long or you touch their leg or you hug them too long, it must mean that you want to have sex, and there's like nothing in between. So when you learn the tools of consent, asking for what you want, 
um, not being feeling so deprived. Part of it is just not being so deprived, so you don't grab at anything that comes your way. When you learn all how to do all those things, you can have connections with people on various different levels, be playful about sexuality, and then also, you know, be open-minded and learn all there is to learn about it. So high was a, a big factor, and that's where I first learned that there was a thing called open relationship or polyamory. And I was like, oh, you mean I don't have to cheat anymore? Because <laughs> that was kind of always my nature, oh, but I just didn't know that funny. you could actually even be honest about it. So that was really helpful. <laughs> and this organization, Hi, is a community thing? Is it led by somebody in particular? Yeah, it's like a nonprofit um, organization that leads workshops on love, intimacy, and sexuality. They're based in California, but they do have branches in other parts of they used to have branches in other parts of the world, but particularly, I believe, in other parts of the country. Who knows now with the pandemic? I don't know if it's still going. But in California, they have started to have in-person workshops again, require vaccine, vaccinations, testing, etc. Um, but yeah, they, they have a series of nine workshops. Each one is a weekend. So you take level one. If you like it, you keep going up the ladder. And did your friend Dan, uh, he was involved in this high, was he one of the leaders or he was just one somebody who was uh, well, enjoying no, the he, workshops? He had, yeah, he had been going to the workshops and he was in, in his application process for becoming what they call an intern. So you get a little bit of discount on your fee and then you just help out the leaders with little tasks and stuff. And he was pretty steeped in it, you know, so um, I, I just, I just like loved it right away. I just dove in head first and ended up doing 35 high workshops over the course of about eight or nine years. Wow, <laughs> nice. nice. Well, it's, it's really cool to meet someone and to go to these workshops, but you've become this relationship coach. How did you transform from being, you know, the, the student to the teacher? Well, that's, yeah, that's a really interesting story. So in the high workshops, they usually have a process where you select a partner to do a dyadic exercise with. And so I became an assistant. Um, I, I wasn't a full intern. There's just a slight hierarchy there. So I became an assistant. So as an assistant, I would step back and let the participants choose each other. And there's there was always, like, never fail. There was a group of about six or seven men that would be, like, wandering around the room because a lot of the women chose each other. Okay. And then the men only wanted to choose a woman because of homophobia. Yeah. So that left, because the whole workshop was gender balanced, even men and women. So because some of the women would choose each other for the dyad and the men would all choose women, then you'd be left with six or seven men who weren't chosen and they didn't want to choose each other because of their homophobia. And they were usually the most socially awkward men at the workshop because everybody was running from them, not wanting to be chosen by yeah. them. They're too afraid to ask. So these were like the men who needed the love the most, you know. And so once that happened, where there'd be six or seven men pretending like they didn't see each other, you know, yeah. <laughs> looking or still looking for someone, the, the leader, the facilitator would say, you can still choose anyone who's standing. And that was my cue as an assistant. All the assistants would then kind of take a step forward and make ourselves more energetically visible because they just assumed we weren't available since we were the assistant team. So we'd like, okay, I'm standing, you know, really make it clear that we're standing there. Then um, I would always be one of the people chosen because I was a pretty woman. So um, so I'd end up doing a dyad with these men that, that really needed a lot of love and acceptance and to know that they were worthy. And I just found it so fulfilling to, and I didn't know, I mean, I had like a lot of women, I was very... Um, critical about my body because um, I wasn't like the tall, skinny supermodel. Mm -hmm. And so I picked apart myself all the time. And I didn't know that I, I really didn't know how attractive I was until I was in my early 40s. I would say <laughs> I, I, I get all you. Those youthful yeah, years, I know. All those youthful years thinking that I was too fat, too tall, too whatever. And so, um, so I got that I could give these men this goddess blessing just by like giving them love and acceptance in this exercise. And once they got that, they would just melt and they just became so vulnerable and were able to share all their challenges with me. And I was able to hold the space for them and, you know, listen deeply to them and start giving them some practices on how they could be less dorky. Yeah, I get <laughs> you know? it. 
And so the, the relationship coaching kind of started there. And then did you have to study to actually become a coach? No, I just have done so much personal growth work in my life. Um, I mean, I could go on. High was a, a big part of like learning about polyamory. But 12-step work is a big part of my story too. When I was in my early 20s, I landed in my first 12-step program. And I've done a lot of programs around relationships and sexuality. And then um, have had my own therapy a lot in my life, you know, psychotherapy. And have hired a lot of coaches and stuff for various things. I'm very eager for personal growth and learning. So, and then I've worked with a lot of really amazing teachers. I think that's on my website under my bio, like mm-hmm. all of the well-known teachers. I've worked directly with Marshall Rosenberg, who created nonviolent communication. Um, I worked with Baba Dez, who was the creator of ISTA. If anybody's heard of the ISTA workshops, International School of Temple Arts. Um, I've worked directly with Ama, the hugging guru. She gave me my name, Sumati. So I've been blessed to be under the tutelage of some really amazing people and have gotten those transmissions. So then just being a mature woman, I'm in my 60s now. Um, I just, I'm the crone, like I'm the wise crone who has so much life experience to give. And so there, there really wasn't any training when I started for, to be a polyamory coach. That, that thing didn't exist. There might be some of that now, but um, there was nothing like that. You wow. just had to learn through the school of hard knocks. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so, a great, so great we, story. We, we talk a lot about swinging and polyamory and non-monogamy and open relationships, and we're going to draw on your expertise right now, just in layman's terms, to tell us the difference between swinging, polyamory, open relationships, non-monogamy, or are they all the same, or is there some differences between them? Mm-hmm. Well, non uh, ethical non-monogamy is the umbrella term. Um, some people also call it consensual non-monogamy. And that just means that you're not cheating. Like, all the people involved know. So by definition, if anyone doesn't know that, like, I mean, I've worked with people. I have a client, a couple now that I'm working with where um, the woman has a lover who's aware that she's married. The husband has a lover who is aware that he's married, but her husband doesn't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, got it. Okay, so by definition, that's not an ethical non-monogamous relationship. Mm-hmm. Okay, so ethical non-monogamy just means that there's any sexual activity going on, and it's all honest, and that's the umbrella term. So under the umbrella, you have you have, you know, the classic understanding of swinging, which is that there's not going to be much emotional involvement. Sure, you're going to be nice and friendly to each other, but it's really just about pleasure. And usually you stay with your partner. And oftentimes you only play with your partner, but not always. And then you go home after you play and you don't really communicate with the people that you were sexual with. You, um, you don't form relationships outside of those sexual scenes. So that's like the, the classic, you know, extreme version of swinging. But I know there's a lot of crossover. And then I would say down at the other end of the spectrum would be a pure polyamorist. And I'll give you an example of the most polyamorous person I've ever met who, who really fits in that extreme end. Um, I was at a polyamory conference and we were sitting around the table and somebody said, let's all share how we do polyamory. And when it came to her, she said, it really bugs me when people assume that, that polyamorous folks are promiscuous because I've only had sex with four men in my life and I'm in my 50s and three of them are here at the conference with me. So she had stayed in touch with three wow. out of the four. One was her husband. Yeah. The other two were her boyfriends. And so she had stayed that connected in love, you know, in partnership with three out of the four men that she'd slept with in her whole life. Wow. So that's a polyamorous person. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and they all knew each other, and they all came to the conference together, wow. and they worked it out. But there's tons of space in between. So a lot of people say we have an open relationship because they, I, I can think of a couple that um, goes to play parties in California, where I'm from, and like when it was her birthday one time, he contacted a bunch of friends in our play party community and said she wants to have a gangbang. And the husband set it up for her. And he did like the safer sex communication through email with all the guys. And 
told them what her boundaries were and what her fantasy would be, and he set it all up for them. So these were all people that they knew from these parties, their friends, you know, people who care about them. But there wasn't going to be like a relationship afterwards with each of them one-on-one. But there's still a sweetness and a community feeling to it because they're going to see them again at another party mm-hmm. and maybe have sex with them again mm-hmm. and maybe not always as part of a couple either. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe they'll just play at the party. A lot of couples would go to these play parties that I used to go to and they wouldn't even be with their husband or, or, or nesting partner the whole time at the party. They would just go do their thing and then they'd still drive home together. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of gray area in, be- in between those two extremes. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Now, so I know you have a little survey when you get on your site, but tell us a little bit about how someone could know if they're suited for a t- any type of this open relationship style that you described up above. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the quiz kind of helps you get a score. I had a friend take it the other day and he goes, I got a two. I go, okay, you're probably not, <laughs> you're probably not very well suited. But if you really, really want to do it because you agree with the philosophy of it and you're willing to do the personal growth work that it takes, then I think just about anyone could do it. The only people that I find, I, I just tell them, no, just don't is when they have like really severe relational trauma in their history. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's probably just, okay, so people who are well suited for ethical non-monogamy, I think that they need to have a belief that it just makes sense. Like, they kind of need to start with like, what, who told us that we could only have sex with one person? Like, that's Mm -hmm. just a dumb idea. I can play tennis with whoever I want. Why can't I have sex with her? Why is sex treated so differently? So they have to have some degree of that belief to start with. If they believe that that if they conflate commitment with monogamy, if they conflate love with monogamy, <laughs> if they conflate, um, you know, the seriousness of, of the love that happens with monogamy, then, and they, they aren't willing to let go of that paradigm, then they're probably not going to be so good at it. But if you love personal growth like I do, if you're a personal growth junkie, and you just don't want to have any old baggage that hasn't been explored, I don't want to go around with these unhealed wounds. One of my favorite spiritual teachers these days is um, Michael Singer, who wrote The Untethered Soul. And he talks about like we have these thorns in us, and we we go around trying to avoid the thorn getting pushed farther in. Mm-hmm. And so why not just remove the thorn, right. because it's a little painful at first, but then it heals. Instead of like going around your whole life trying to avoid all the thorns being pushed. So if I find a new thorn, I want to go, oh, okay, it's not fun. It's an, another fucking growth experience, an AFKI. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I want to work on it, you know. I want to work on that and remove that so I can be free. I can be free of all my limiting beliefs and old patterns. And so if, you, if you're like me in that way, then non-monogamy is a great medicine for <laughs> pointing out all those thorns. <laughs> yeah, and I would say it actually is one of those, um, something that makes you grow. It's one of those things you do in your life that you can't help but grow from it. We've been swingers. We don't even remember now how long it's been. I don't know, 15 14, years, 15 yeah. years, whatever it's been. And um, we, the evolution of being the swinger is just part of who we are today. I can't imagine spending my life these last 15 years without swinging who I might be. So I'm like so happy that I am this person today. And the things we have learned right. by the people that we have met, not to mention our podcast and, and the, the experts that have spoken on it, but just learning how to love each other by having sex with other people and learning how to have a better sex life. Because I mean, relationships begin and end in the bedroom. And anybody who doesn't agree with that um, needs to go and and talk to intimacy (laughs) coaches or whatever, because sex is important in any relationship. And sex gets boring, relationships get boring, and and you have to work at them. And um, we organically, orgasmically worked at them over 15 years by meeting other couples and learning how they had great sex and they had a great relationship. And we've incorporated lots of different things into us. And our goal, and we've spoken about it on our show many, many times, is every time we go into a swinger relationship, a swinger uh, experience, 
we need to come out as a stronger couple, the two of us. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, you were talking before the differences between polyamory and swinging. Well, swinging, we're, like you said, we're not going there to fall in love, to meet other people, to spend the rest of our lives with. We're going there to have great sexual fun to come out and be stronger, the two of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I definitely learn a lot, even in polyamory, or as, as much, well, you, you learn more about other things. Like you guys are learning about sexuality and strengthening your sexual bonds so that you can stay a really strong partnership and then if you if you allow love and emotional connection in your other relationships you can learn so much more about yourself through how you love how they love i've actually recommended um people a few times that they go and be like the unicorn in a a relationship with a couple Tell them to come see That's us. A, 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 a couple that has a healthy relationship. Right. So even if they want to be monogamous long term, like if they're open minded sexually, just go and like be the unicorn for six months to a year and like experience a healthy relationship. Because a lot of people have had horrible childhood and then they all their relationships are crappy. You know, they keep yeah. choosing like narcissist partners. Yeah. And so to break that habit, like go and jump into a healthy relationship and Great feel idea. it in your body and know what it feels like so that you can find your own yeah. later, you know. That is good advice. <laughs> I like I that, that idea. Yeah. And, and in the next segment, we're going to get into um, all the workshops and stuff. Yeah, okay, maybe we'll just take a break right here. This is good timing. Uh, Let's just remind everybody that this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We're Carol and David, and we're chatting with the open relationship coach, Sumati Sparks. Now let's just talk about topless travel for a minute and the amazing trip that we have planned for next year. Absolutely, and of course, you know, topless travel is the best. We know they're the best. We travel with them all the time. And if you're looking for the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever, then you need you simply must book with Topless Travel from Hedonism 2 in Jamaica to Desire in Cancun and all the Bliss Cruise experiences. Topless Travel needs to be your number one choice. Their trips and events are all about the people and their sexy fun experiences. And let's shout out to all the sexy host couples, including Chelsea and Mark, who are there to ensure that you have one hell of a sexy vacation. Absolutely. And like I said earlier, you're going to find us on many of their amazing Topless Travel trips. But listen up, listen up. The one that we're really looking forward to is their sexy silver full takeover at Desire Pearl in 2022. It's going to be from October 16th to the 23rd. And of course, we're going to be broadcasting live. Rooms are absolutely selling out quickly. So book now. And you know what? Just come, come on down, join us for a week. And we'd love to meet you there. And for more information about this trip or any other topless travel event, you can go to thesexylifestyle.com and click on the topless travel events link to book your sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. Absolutely. Alrighty, let's get back to the show. We're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. And we have the open relationship coach, Sumati Sparks. Um, And we're going to get talking to her now about her workshop, Transforming Jealousy into Love. Well, I got to tell you that one of the biggest or most uh, most asked questions that we ever get is all about jealousy and how can you be having sex with another person and not feel jealousy or watch your partner have sex with somebody else and not feel jealousy. The question comes up is how can you watch your partner fuck somebody else and how do you feel about it? Yeah, exactly. So that's the kind of thing I'm assuming that you're you're covering in your workshop. Everyone wants to know, but what type of people attend your workshops? Before we get into the jealousy and compersion and all all those good things okay um well it could be couples who are thinking of opening their relationship and want to do it right like they don't want to mess up what they have so they they know that there's got to be stuff that they need to learn um also couples who've tried it on their own and didn't realize how hard it was mm-hmm. <laughs> so they screwed it up really bad and then they said oh god we got to stop or we've got to take a pause here and, and go get some help um, also, single people who are looking for a partner that's also um, open to having a polyamorous relationship. And then people who call themselves solo poly who aren't looking for a primary partnership ever. Um, they want to treat all their relationships equally. They don't believe that they need this this hierarchical kind of primary partner. They don't really want to live with somebody. It doesn't mean that they don't like having their lovers over from time to time or maybe give somebody a dresser in their house. Yeah. But they really want to be more of a solo person and each relationship is its own thing. And as long as they're communicating and honest with everybody, they seem to be able to make that work. And I've done a period of time like that before, so I know what it's like. 
Um, but anyway, all different kinds of people, just anybody that wants to have open relationships and do it successfully. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And so since jealousy seems to be one of the very big hurdles that people have to get over in order to have this type of open relationship, it's cool if you can break down those hurdles even before you try. So what would you say would be maybe the top three things that you know your, your guests get out of the workshop? Mm-hmm. So I get that question most often too. Um, don't you get jealous? And there's a underlying premise there that somehow we're supposed to avoid ever feeling jealous. Mm. Right? So I go, yeah. And and I even wear a button sometimes when I go to conferences, when I'm speaking or teaching at a conference, I'll wear a button that says, I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so it's kind of like, wait, you're teaching jealousy workshops and you're jealous? <laughs> My brain is all scrambled up here. You know, so just to own that, yeah, I I get jealous, but it's not something I have to run from. I find jealousy as a teacher now. And the main thing about being successful in open relationships, here's another thing to know if you're well suited for it, is that you own your own feelings, that you don't blame your partner or anyone else for your feelings. Because my I could feel jealous about something, whereas another person could feel turned on by it. So you know, everyone has different emotional experiences. It's not someone else's fault how I feel. So if you're willing to own your feelings as, you know, some, some process from the collection of your life experiences and core wounds and beliefs cause this feeling to come up, then let's explore that feeling. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to ask your partner to be compassionate with you while you're having that feeling. I'm not saying go hide in a closet and process it all yourself. Mm. I'm just saying don't blame your partner right. for it. So it would look it would look something like um, instead of going, "Why did you stay in that room with that woman? You know how much it hurts me, and you know we agreed that you weren't going to go in a separate room." Okay, like that's like attacking and blaming. Instead, you would just say, um, "I'm feeling upset right now. Can you, you know, can you take a moment to just listen to me and hold the space?" And so um, when I saw you go in that room with that woman, that kind of re-triggered the part of me that feels um, feels scared. I just really like to be there with you when you're playing with someone else. And I felt really scared. I think it's coming up for me that I um, was abandoned so young, you know, that my, my mother moved out and I had been to see her for 20 years. And, you know, whatever, like whatever it's triggering in you, you can share that and your partner can hold the space and go, Oh, I hear how upsetting that must have been for you. Mm-hmm. And and you're not necessarily even asking your partner to change that behavior. You're just exploring how it affected you. Mm-hmm. And then after your partner holds the space for you, and you might need to cry or whatever, have whatever experience as you move through it, you could then ask, make a request, you could say, would you be willing to not play with people in another room in the future? And if your partner says, sure, I don't need to do that then you're done. Or you, or if your partner says, well, I would really like that freedom to do that. How can we make it work so that it doesn't trigger you so much? Mm-hmm. Is there something that will help? You know, wait, so wait. then you're negotiating mm-hmm. to make it work rather than making it their fault. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah when we first started swinging, we, we lived that exact experience. We were um, at a hotel takeover and um, Carol was playing. We, we, were, we liked playing in the same room, same bed, but there was a couple of beds there. And Carol was playing with um, a guy or another girl. And two girls came over to me and said, uh, can we take you and play with you over here? So I said, hell yeah. We went to the other room. And then Carol didn't really know where I was. And at the end of all this, you know, she said, you know, I, I didn't have a problem with you playing with those two women. I just had a problem with you not telling me where you were. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was very distracted by that and worried. And, and not because I was abandoned. That might not be the thing that made it trigger. But, and, but next time it happened, um, at, at a, a New Year's Eve party, a girl said, you know, how about if we go play over here? Carol was busy. I took a minute and I said, babe, I'm going over here. She says, great, I'm going to come watch because she was done. And I ended up fucking this other woman. Carol sat there watching, got turned on. She was masturbating, which turned me on even more. And the whole situation turned into a very positive just because I listened to what she said once and and, and got her involved. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that communication, Perfect. I'm sure, is one of those big things that you teach as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't even yeah, know. Exactly. I don't even know if I needed to explain why I was not happy with him, you know, because it, we had already agreed that we would always play together, and so it just was. It just was, and I don't know why it made me upset, but it did. 
And uh, yeah, we resolved it. So we kind of just and turned it into something yeah. sexy. Yeah, and we agreed that we yeah, wouldn't do perfect. that. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah, so it's really just not blaming, attacking, instead just owning it and then asking for what you want. And that's what you did. Um, so you asked me, like, what are three things that people would get out of that workshop? Um, I give people tools that are like lifelong practices. So I don't promise people that they're going to come out of the workshop and never feel jealous again. But I invite people to do these practices in their life. And the more they do them, the more the jealousy will lessen over time. Mm. And so uh, I'll give you an example. So one of them is the Who Am I Zen Cohen. Uh, a Zen Cohen is a question that doesn't have an answer, but the Zen Buddhists believe that com- contemplating the question can bring enlightenment. So an example is Who Am I? Or What is Love? Or What is Life? Those kinds of questions. So contemplating who am I helps us to realize that we're not our feelings because it gives us a witnessing mind where we can step back and look at our feelings instead of our feelings like taking us with them, (laughs) causing us to act out and do crazy things that we regret later. So if you can get some distance from the feeling through practice, through a meditation practice or a contemplation or journaling, just get some distance from your feelings so when it comes up, you can say, oh, I'm feeling this way. What do I want to do about it? Or how does it feel in my body? Do I, am I going to die from it? Maybe I can talk about it later. You can navigate with yourself what you need to do with the feeling if you have some distance from it. And by distancing yourself so that, and putting it aside, that when it comes up again, you let it not bother you. So, so what happens if you've been practicing this and then the situation arises and you get that feeling again? What, what happens? Well, I'll give you an example. Okay. I went to, I've been doing this for a long time and I went to go meet somebody from a dating app and he was quite a bit younger than me, really good looking. And we were going to just be, be jam, music jam buddies. We're both musicians. So we thought, let's just, you know, we both want somebody to jam with. Let's just bring our instruments and jam. And, you know, if anything more comes out of it, great. You know, but let's just at least be, be, um, you know, help each other as accountability buddies so that we practice our instruments. So I show up with my guitar and he's standing there. We met in a park because of COVID and he doesn't have his guitar and he's just standing there. And literally within minutes, like one or two minutes, he says, I'm really tired. I need to go. (laughs) And I'm just like, this is bullshit. You know, he didn't really want to jam with me he's just looking for somebody to fuck and yeah. he didn't find me fuckable for whatever reason maybe that the age range didn't work for him uh, the age difference and so um it definitely was a rejection because if he was really tired he would have told me when i texted him of saying course. i'm on my way yeah you know? of course and, and so um it clearly was a rejection experience okay so I was in a park, so I went over to a tree, and I sat down, and I just tuned into my body, and I said, hmm, this is how rejection feels in my body. It kind of lodges in my heart. It's a little bit in my throat. Oh, okay, it's, maybe some adrenaline is happening. In the past, I might have gone across the street and had a beer or, you know, had got some ice cream or something. And what about yelling at him? Myself. <laughs> I probably would have yelled at him, yeah. you fucking brick, you did it. <laughs> Yeah, something. But I just, I just let myself feel the rejection and know that I'm not the, I'm not the rejection. I'm not who, I'm not who he saw. I am the pure witness, the pure awareness that's watching all this happen. That's who I really am. And if you can get a taste of that through regular practice, there's no room for jealousy because we're just, we're everything. Like I am, you know, how meditators say I am, I just am. I'm just here. I'm pure love. I'm consciousness i'm one with everything and the more you can get little tastes of that the more jealousy just seems to be silly interesting so i like that so i I love that i absolutely love that now let's talk about the opposite of jealousy which is compersion and what about someone who goes into this open world or the swinging world and they actually enjoy what they're looking at should they feel wrong about enjoying watching their partner fuck somebody else I have a really good example of that because I'm coaching a couple right now where the man had that, you know, cuckold fantasy for years where he wanted his to watch his wife be fucked by somebody else. And he kept asking her for years and years. And she was like, oh, and so finally she did it. She found this stud 
And so he loves it. Like he loves, he doesn't watch, but he hears about it when she comes home. She tells him all the details. He gets super turned on. They have great sex. And then the next day, he has an emotional meltdown of mm. jealousy, comparing himself to the stud and all this, right? And so um, that's what I'm helping him with is the jealousy around that. And one of the things I noticed is that, um, so I think that cuckolding, is, that's his kink, right? And if you can bring consciousness to your kink, so conscious kink. So the reason why that's kinky for him is because he's letting himself feel that primal um, ownership of his wife, my woman, and I'm letting you fuck my woman. So there's a consciousness around, I'm going to let myself be in that primal state of she, she's my possession. But I said, if I ask you, do you own your wife? What would you say? He goes, no, no way. And the wife is like, no, he doesn't, right? So because women are strong and independent now, but there's still this primal feeling that it's my woman. Mm. So go into that, let it be there because that's the turn on, enjoy it. But then back off from that belief that you own her, that she's your possession. Back off from that after you're done with the scene or the experience and know that she's a free person who's having her own choices in life. And you get to work on that attachment you have to her as like some, it's some way that you, it, it's your identity, you know, um, her experience has something to do with your life and your identity. So you have to like unenmesh a little bit there. And you know, so I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the things that Carol and I do, which um, we became very good at during COVID because we obviously didn't swing very much, is sometimes when we're fucking, and I love watching her get fucked and she loves watching me fuck someone else, um, we talk to each other. So who else is here with us? Who's sitting on your face while I'm sitting on your cock? And we, we like bring the visuals of the orgies and the other situations and the other people that we've swung with over the years into our one-on-one relationship. And it just adds some spice to it. And, um, and of course, no jealousy involved because there's, no, really, there's not another person it's, in it's the room. It's the spice we're adding to yeah. it, not the jealousy. Yeah, that's great. I think a lot of people would, well, monogamous people would feel very jealous even by that. Like even if you mention somebody that you've had sex with before. You yeah, know? that's true. So I, it just sounds like you guys have navigated it pretty well, at least by this point in your life and your relationship. Um, but there's also deeper things going on. Like I talked about the spiritual piece of it, um, but there's also the emotional piece of it where you're feeling like you're not enough. So, you know, the most common thing mm. someone new or someone who's monogamous and their partner wants right. to be polyamorous, they'll say, why do you need someone else? Am I not enough? Right. And what's your and answer? And I try to, to help them. Yeah, help them see it. it's not about you not being enough. It has nothing to do with that. So um, the enoughness has to do with some past experience that you had where, you know, you didn't feel like you were enough. You were rejected or abandoned or you know, told you weren't wanted. And so we're looking for our partner to fill that void and they can't. A, an adult person, so give up on ever finding mommy or daddy. Maybe you didn't have that, a good one in your life. Sorry, it's horrible and tragic, but you're not going to find it outside yourself. And so I help people with a visualization process where they go back in time and find that place in themselves that felt rejected, abandoned, or unwanted. Mm -hmm. And then we talk to that little one and find out, like, what, what does it want? What does he or she want? You know, maybe he or she wants you to take their mommy away to a really good psychologist or, you know, bring in a, a really good nurse mm -hmm. or something. And we just really talk to that child and try to help them heal from mm -hmm. that experience. Because trauma, as um, Gabor Mate says, trauma is not really so much about the thing that happened as it is that someone wasn't there for you mm -hmm. when it happened. I can imagine that. And so... Yeah, so we'd be there, we'd be there for ourselves. And once you've had that experience with the visualization, you can always go back to it again. You can go back to that memory. So when you're feeling that trigger again, that I'm not enough, oh, that's the little one speaking. Mm. Let me, let me go over here and, and give it some nurturing mm. love and let it, let the little one know that it's okay and it's, we love them. And for those people, yeah. like, I guess, like us who have found a way to navigate through these things, we must have done what you're saying. We must have done that subconsciously or 
unconsciously or just because we were successful in our in our relationship as swingers that we found a way I mean I'm not saying that it was totally smooth but we did have our ups and downs but I just wanted to mention a fun thought that you brought up where you said that in your own body you were like probably 90% of other women and always nitpicking on everything that was wrong with you and you only really discovered your true inner beauty for that admitting it in your 40s well I've got to say that I also was in a similar situation where I really only found or realize that I actually am well, okay looking, you know, not beautiful or gorgeous, but beautiful but and gorgeous. <laughs> after and I sexy met, after I hot. met David, so it was only after meeting David we met when we were both forty-two years old, and this is our second marriage. And so I really only appreciate the fact that maybe I am that beautiful woman that I thought I never was all this time. And it was so funny that in the beginning of our swinging relationship, I was very picky about the women that we played with. Not that I, I'm not, I don't play with women, but the, the wife of the husband that I was playing with, because I never wanted to be, I always wanted to be the prettiest girl in the room. Because I've spent yeah. my whole life thinking I wasn't pretty, and I didn't yeah, want to be you know, comparing sexual activities with another gorgeous 10 on 10 when I'm, you know, my whatever, I call myself but, seven or eight. So I was very picky, right? And you know what's very cool? When you actually realized how beautiful you were and how sexy you were, you started having better orgasms and you started squirting. I know. It was really only when I got into my body and I realized that actually my body is fine. It's not bad and I don't have it's the bump here or the fat there or the roll there and I didn't think about that anymore and of course um, that really is what liberated me to have great sex right did you find that um, it helped you when you went to parties and started seeing what real women look like naked yeah perhaps yeah you're, because you're we right. don't get to see that yeah. much we, we just see the billboards and the touched up pictures in the magazines so the first time I went to a clothing optional hot springs place and I got to see real women naked. I was like, oh, they all have a little poochie belly. Right. And they all have a little bit of, <laughs> most of them, 95% of them have a little bit of cellulite somewhere on their legs. You know, like, oh, I'm not flawed and bad. This is just the you woman's know, very, body. There you go. That very well could have been what happened. And again, subconsciously or unconsciously, that's the growth that we did together. And then I started believing David when he said, you're beautiful and you're sexy and you're hot, because I had never, ever considered myself that until I met him. So it's just mm -hmm. kind of interesting. Absolutely. Oh, you're very blessed to have him. He's mm -hmm. such a great man. <laughs> Thank you. I try hard. You know, you got to work in relationships and, uh, you know, yes, uh, we, we do and we communicate a lot. Um, but one of the questions we wanted to ask you was, um, should people in a relationship where they have little or no intimacy consider an open relationship or opening it up? Oh, definitely. Yeah, this happens a lot with more mature couples where one of them may have an illness, um, chronic pain, or or some kind of illness where they've just completely lost their sex drive and they have no interest in anything anymore or very rarely do, um, why should the other person have to also not have sex, hmm. you know, if they don't have that condition? And why should we ask that, why should they have to dismantle their whole life that they've had with this person? Maybe they've been married, married for decades and they have a home and a family and a business and all kinds of things. So you don't have to dismantle that whole thing if you're open to just talking about it. And what I do is I help the person who wants to have sex and they're afraid that their partner would just be offended even by the request for it. <laughs> I help them kind of find their, their, um, their request and ask for it in a way that maybe they've never spoken that way before. Um, there's a lot of different things that go into it, but I'll give you an example. So let's say there's a woman after menopause who's lost interest in sex and they haven't had sex for years and the man turns 60 or 65 or he just survives a near-death illness, cancer or something, and he realizes like, no, I'm alive and I don't want to go on for the rest of my life with no sex. But he's been the good guy like his whole life. He's been the provider. He's you know, earn the money so they could buy the beautiful house and have all the things and raise the children. And he's like, what did I do that all for? Now I'm 65 and I'm here with my dick in my hand, right? Yeah. <laughs> so he has to learn how to be more ferocious to ask for what he needs because he's been his caretaker, you know, they say happy wife, happy life. Mm -hmm. So he's been trying to make his wife happy and everyone happy. And he has forgotten to like own his own needs 
And it's really sexy when a man owns his needs and comes to a woman and says, here's what I want, you know. And so maybe it could even re-spark the, the, the sex life with the wife, yeah. you know, by being in his truth like that. And if he's in his heart and in his masculine desire, honey, I love you. I never want to leave you. I love our life together. And I, I need to have sexual expression in my life. I want to feel that again. I want to feel the way someone looks at me when I turn them on, whatever it is, you know, his, whatever his truth is, to explain that to his wife. And it may be really hard for her at first, but if he holds the space for it and doesn't run out and immediately have sex with someone, but gives her time yeah. and just keep keeps coming back and holding the space for her emotions, usually she can finally hear him and and say, okay, I hear how important this is to you. Let's figure out how to do this in, wow. in a way that will work for us. Cool. And even if she wants to participate a little bit and he participates outside of the relationships a little bit, that could be a compromise as well. Yeah. I mean, it really depends on her. Like she may want to meet the woman that mm -hmm. he's seeing and that might make her feel more secure mm -hmm. that she knows the woman mm -hmm. or she might never want to know the woman and not even want to know when he sees her, you know, yeah. or it could be something in between. So it really just depends. And often they don't know until they start doing it and they try things. And that's how I was when I had my first full polyamorous relationship. I would say, well, let's do this when you come back. Oh, that didn't work. Let's try this. Yeah. So just, you know, keep trying things till you find out what your request really is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been an amazing segment and we're going to get into more details of your polyamorous life when we come into our, our next segment. Let's just remind everybody that this is a sexy lifestyle. We're Carol and David and we're having an amazing discussion with the open relationship coach, Sumati Sparks. Coming up next is our favorite segment, Great Sex Matters. So stay right there. So are you interested in vaginal rejuvenation and sexual health? It's a topic that we want to talk about more because how we look and how we feel make a huge difference in the way we live sexy. The company Lumisk has developed an easy treatment system for vaginal rejuvenation. It's a product that you can use on yourself and at home. It's a carboxy gel called CO2 Lift V. You simply mix together two packets of gel and apply it to your vulva and inside your vagina before bedtime and then rinse it out in the morning. The gel infuses CO2 into the skin to encourage blood flow. It promotes healing and cell regeneration. And the great thing is that there's no discomfort or downtime. This CO2 Lift V treatment keeps your vaginal tissue healthy and happy. It increases lubrication and sensation and make sex more fun at any age. After you finish the initial course of weekly treatments, you can easily maintain your results with applications once a month. Also, it's a sure way to snap back after a long night of great sex. For more information, visit CO2Lift.com, buy yours today, and get a 15% discount if you use promo code SEXYLIFE at checkout. That's S-E-X-Y-L-I-F-E. Great sex starts now. And remember, if you're looking for an online open-minded community to meet compatible people in your area, you should go to sdc.com and use promo code 30314 for your first month free. So check it out. Absolutely. And um, we want to remind everyone, we want to tell everyone that we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. And uh, for those of you who've been listening over the years, you know this is our favorite part of the show where we get to talk about great sex because... Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. So this is also the part of the show where we get down and dirty with our guests and find out a little bit of their personal life, you know, as much sex as they life. want to share, yeah. yes, about yes. all their sexual activities and what's going throw on. throw off all the clothes, get <laughs> naked and tell us the down and dirty of their sex life. So um, growing up, did you grow up in an open-minded family? Did you talk about sex? Did you start having sex at a young age? Well, I just want to say first that my favorite topic is myself, so this is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, um, no, I came from a, a family that was pretty repressed around sexuality. It wasn't talked about much. My father was a sex addict and an alcoholic, and my parents fought a lot, and it was not, you know, and my mom was very prudish, so I remember when my sister and I were preteens or so, my mom came to us and said, well, I guess I should have a talk with you guys about, you know, the birds and the bees or what, I don't know what she called it, but I guess we should have that talk, but you guys probably already know everything by now. 
And my sister and I go, yeah, we already know everything. And she goes, okay. And she walked away. <laughs> she totally got off the hook. Of course, we didn't know everything, uh, no. but we were uncomfortable about it too. Yeah. So we wanted yeah. her to just go away. Yeah. So we never had any kind of talk, no. <laughs> now, that very first polyamorous experience that you had, did you, you knew going into it that it was polyamory or did you stumble upon it? How did you actually discover it and when did you get into it? Well, Dan, who um, introduced me to High, we were sitting in a High workshop, and they always had a talent show at Saturday, on Saturday night. So in the talent show, this beautiful man named Scott ran up on stage and was dancing in a G-string, and he was a beautiful dancer with this gorgeous body. And I said, oh my God, Dan, do you have a dollar bill? And he looks in his pocket and gives me a $5 bill. So I run up on stage and I stick it in Scott's G-string. And I just thought he was just a cat's meow. I was so turned on by him. And so Scott chose me for one of those exercises. Actually, it was an exercise with four people. And we got to go take a shower together and have this really sensual exercise together. And I just fell for him really hard. And so I wanted to see him after the workshop. And Dan said, oh, yeah, that's fine. I just consider that an extension of the workshop. You know, I want you to continue to pursue the relationships you you make in a workshop. So I'd go over to his house and I'd say, well, I'm not going to have sex with him. But then we'd start, you know, making out and like moving towards sexuality. And Scott would say, does Dan know that we're doing this? And I said, no, I told him we weren't going to do anything. He said, well, you better call him. And so Scott was holding me accountable to like call Dan and say, well, we're doing a little more than I thought. And that happened like two or three times until I finally just had to own like, yes, I do want to have sex with Scott. But my fear was my jealousy was that if I started seeing him, then Dan would start seeing someone else, right? And so that was my fear. And I didn't know if I could handle that. So that's why I wasn't ready yet to own that I wanted to see Scott. So I thought I got better and better at my jealousy for a while. But then it, it, um, it really crashed. I crashed and burned when I got into a relationship with a married man. And we were um, really like primary partners for three years because his wife had another partner that she saw on all her vacations and weekends. And and so we were kind of primary. And when they got back together again, um, because she ended her other relationship, um, I felt like they didn't really acknowledge the depth of my relationship. And I wanted us to have more equal power. Uh-huh. I feel like I just instantly got demoted. And it was so hard for me. I just really went into a dark night of the soul around that. And that's what instigated me learning more about, this is about 14 years ago, maybe 15. Um, that's what caused me to start pouring myself into learning about how to do this. Because I know I wasn't going to go back to being monogamous because that's just who I am. So how am I going to be successful in non-monogamy when I'm this jealous and have has this level of trauma and this history of addiction? So I poured myself into, you know, going to a coach, uh, reading all the books, listening to the podcasts, trying to figure out how to manage the jealousy. And so that's how I became what I do now is just do my own suffering. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that I know is that the swinging lifestyle has a bad reputation of people thinking that everyone just fucks everybody else and with no care of who it is or what that they don't really understand the selection and the choice process. And I think that the polyamory uh, relationship has that same type of reputation where the how can you be all satisfied in a in a relationship because we only understand love between two people as a community as a as a culture and how can that be that you have equal love between three people in a relationship or more uh, and so i i get that that's why people understand that or that's why they they assume that so is it really possible to have an equal opportunity type relationship in polyamory where you're all satisfied and you all get the right amount of love that you're looking for well, I, I've seen um, triads that live together and work very well. Um, and I don't know of too many more than that. I do know of two couples who are married and have children and they bought a duplex together. So one lives upstairs and the other couple lives downstairs. And uh, just there's, they're not all four involved, just one husband and one wife in, in each of the different couples have a strong long-term relationship okay so that's going really well for many many years um so yeah i mean it really so when you decide that you want to be um polyamorous or step outside the 
the box of non-monogamy. The sky's the limit. You get to design it. So there's no set mold that you have to step into. So it really just requires a lot of communication. And if you're open-minded about that and you can design the relationship that you want, what's cool about it is that one person doesn't have to be your everything. Mm -hmm. You know, like one partner may be somebody that you just really enjoy, you know, doing traveling with, doing hobbies with. And another one might be the one who you geek out on games with or something, you know, so you can kind of get different needs met that way. And as long as everybody's talking about it and sharing what, what they might be missing or what they're needing and, um, you know, doing their best to get that met, any degree of relationships can work. Now, for you and yourself, like, what would be your ideal relationship and sex life in a polyamorous way? Assuming there's no COVID and well, you can have whomever you want, obviously. There you go. Yeah. Um, I think my I love... I love having sex with two men, and unfortunately, I haven't had that much of it. I've had a lot more sex with two women and a man. Um, And so some of my favorite experiences are when I've been with two men. And so if they were the right men who I really vibed with, I'd love to live with two men and have like two husbands. But they'd have to be also polyamorous, people that are really open-minded, and they have other sweeties. And I love being in a community. I'm in a community. Um, We haven't gotten to meet that much during COVID, but I am going to go to one of their events in February and I can't wait because when I'm in a community of polyamorous people, I just feel like there's enough, you know, there's like, there's just so much available to me. There's this person over here that I love hugging this person over here that I make out with this person who I fuck this person who I'm in love with. There's just all this person who I have deep conversations with and everywhere I look, there's some angel that I want to connect with. And then I go, Oh, you're also fucking them. Oh, cool. That's so great. You know, there's just so many interconnections and it just my brain stops tracking it because everyone's getting enough. <laughs> and, and this is when we're on retreats, okay? We don't have to work. We don't have to cook. <laughs> right, 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 right. But it, it gives me a taste of what it can be like, you know? And do you also enjoy, so that's the, when I feel do you also enjoy the orgy experience where it's just a whole bunch of naked bodies fucking, sucking, and just having sex? It's not about the emotions? Not for me. I mean, I've never really been that into the um, recreational sex um, I, especially now being a postmenopausal woman, I really need there to be a love connection. I'm becoming more and more what we call demisexual as I get older, where I have to have at least a loving friendship with somebody to even feel arousal. So um, I love it when I had a really great experience right before COVID, uh, January of 2020. I was on one of our retreats, and my lover was with his lover that I hadn't seen them together yet. I knew her. I knew her from other retreats, and she was a wonderful person. I loved her, but I just hadn't seen them together. So when they were kissing, I was feeling that little bit of jealousy, like, oh, look how tender he's being with her, and he's really giving her all his attention. And we had four of us were going to play, and we were all sitting around talking about our safer sex status and what our boundaries were and what our fantasy was of how we wanted this foursome to go. And I said, I'm feeling a little jealous about you guys kissing, um, would you all be willing to tell me that you really want me here? Because that's my little child saying like, I'm not wanted. You guys want to be together and I should just leave. Right. So can you just reassure me that you all want me here? And it really only took a minute once I knew what I wanted and could ask for it. And I felt so loved by them, by the words they said that, that I was able to transform that jealousy into eroticism. And so the four of us had the most amazing experience because I was with my lover, his lover, and then a man who my lover and I had played with before, who had really hot, amazing guy. And so, um, and I, and these are all people in my community who I adore. So with that connection and love, I guess you'd call four people an onorgy, but yeah. it really came from our bond. Yeah. It wasn't just about bodies su- sucking. It was like That's great. people who love each other yeah. sucking, you know? Yeah. And no, even I like, better. I mean, I like. I, I'm getting turned on just by thinking about Absolutely. that. That's awesome. <laughs> so that's, that's a great lead into the last question before the final advice, because we're coming to the end of the show. So you get to now... Tell us, over the many years of the amazing sexual journey that you've had, what has been your most memorable sexual experience? Mm. Well, that last one was pretty memorable, but but really I think it's when I was in this sweet spot where I was dating two men and I was in love with them equally, and then eventually it kind of tipped more toward another one who he didn't have very much experience with polyamory, 
So he wanted us to have a period of monogamy before we opened. And I wanted him so much that I was willing to do that for a little while. But before that, I was dating him and I was dating another man. And the other man was super open-minded, not jealous at all. And he was really open to me bringing the other guy into bed with us. So I felt like I, I was involved with these two men equally at that time. It was like the sweet spot. And I loved them both the same. And so having a threesome with those two, where they just both ravished me, and they weren't, the one of them was bisexual, the other wasn't, so they didn't really play together. It was just those two, like, just ravishing me. Nice. <laughs> it was just so amazing to get, like, that much attention and have it really be about my, all about my pleasure and figuring out, you know, I felt so comfortable with both of them. We could talk about like, let's try this position. <laughs> let's nice, try this. Nice. And, like the queen bee. just feel so you, comfortable. You exactly. Yeah. Queen bee getting so pampered. Amazing. That's so nice. Uh-huh. Wow. And the, because the love was there. Like I need the, sorry, I'm just not a recreational sex person. If the love it. is there and there's multiple love, ooh, it's amazing. Oh, no, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, so yeah. we are getting to the end of our show and we usually like to end with some final advice. What would you say would be the top two reasons that a couple should consider if they want to open up their relationship? Mm. Okay. Um, Well, the most obvious thing is that you want a different kind of sex than you're getting from your partner. So it could be that one partner wants to explore kink and the other doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so that's a common scenario where one person has a a partner that they go play, do bondage with, or they do um, dominant submission with, mm-hmm. and the other, the other, their wife or husband just is not interested in that. Right. So they're like, okay, you go have that kink partner, come back later. <laughs> um, another one is that you want more sex, that you have a mismatched mm-hmm. sex drive, mm-hmm. that one person is just not satisfied with the amount of sex they're having, and so that would be another really good reason. And these are the kind of things that you talk about with your um, with your patients, your clients, in the yeah. Relation, those the are coaching. a couple of examples. Wow. Yeah, yeah, they make yeah. sense. Yeah, and I ju- yeah, I just talked to this really young couple the other day, and they had such a great awareness. They'd read all the books, and they just really felt like this made sense, and they just want to live freely, and they want to be able to love freely from that. They were youthful energy of like. Why should we constrain our love? But they still had the tendencies for jealousy and, mm-hmm. you know, possessiveness. Um, but intellectually, they really wanted to live this way. So they were eager to learn how to move through those contracted feelings. Wow. Interesting. Wow. Well, yep. Sumati, Sparks, um, we are going to have you back on our show later this year because we had a whole bunch of stuff we wanted to talk to you about and we didn't get into it because you have so much, so much in-depth knowledge about uh, open relationships, non-monogamy, ethical non-monogamy, poly. I mean, we can go on and on and on. And it's some of the stuff that we don't get into very much. And and thank you so much for for bringing your personal life into it. Um, Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you, um, your website, and maybe even give you a buzz for some coaching? Cool. Thanks. Um, Well, I've had a wonderful time. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm happy to come back. Um, so my website is sumatisparks.com, S-U-M-A-T-I, sparks, as in sparks are flying. And right on the homepage, you'll find this quiz, how suited are you for ethical non-monogamy? So take the quiz and I'll get your email address and you can be added to my mailing list. I don't email very often. You're not going to be inundated with it. Just, you know, barely once a month. I might tell you about a really fun, um, uh, online festival. I like to teach at festivals, and that's a really great place to meet other non-monogamous folks. Um, is at online tantra festivals, polyamory festivals. There's like-minded people there. It's better than a dating app, I think. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and then you'll find my consultation um, page on my website if you want to apply for a consultation. I'd love to chat with you, and no pressure. Just you know, give you a little coaching and see if you might want to do some ongoing work with me. And of course, if you missed any of that information, you can just go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where every one of our guests has their own guest page with all their information. And you can even contact them there if you have any questions about their work or you want to reach out to them. Absolutely. And like we did this week, we're learning more and more every week from all our expert guests. We hope you do too. If you have any questions at all, you know you can always send us an email at ask at carolandavid.com. Alrighty, 
the end of another great show with another great guest, Sumati Sparks. Thank you so much for being here today. So great to be here. Thanks for having me. And like we do each week, we want to thank all our listeners for being there week in and week out for four years. Four years. Four years. We're goodness. going into year five. <laughs> thank you all so much for being there and making our show as successful as it has been. And you can always join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Alrighty, that's it for our show today. Carol and I send you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe, everyone. And of course, stay sexy. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. <laughs>